Ivan on Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of Motorsports Analytics. On this episode, another round down, another round of positive regression goodbyes. We offer our requiems and fixes to those we've lost in the playoffs. We explore why the fastest drivers on mile and a halfs have not won. And of course, our big Kansas preview. But first, as always, this is episode 83 of Positive Regression. This is the Brian Vickers edition. David, it's hard to think of a driver that had such, you know, he had, you know, big highs in the sport, getting some wins and then such unfortunate lows being forced out because of uh, health issues. David, he was just 19 years old when he won the Bush Series championship in 2003. The next year, he moved up to Cup, showed a lot of promise. He won races for Hendrick, Red Bull, Michael Waltrip Racing, 323 starts, many of them in that memorable Red Bull number 83. David, Brian Vickers, where do you want to start? Yeah, highs and lows. You, you hit it. I mean, just an oddball career. Uh, not entirely his fault, especially the health problems that sort of doomed him. But we remember him starting off slow. Uh, you mentioned he was 19, 20 years old when he came into the series. In those first two years, he was scoring uh, production ratings around the zero mark. But he found his footing, and I might even say that Hendrick Motorsports cut bait on him a little too early, especially considering he was replaced by Casey Mears. But Vickers was earning peers above 1.0 at ages 21 through 24. So very good things. Those were the highs. Uh, and he actually topped the series in peer in 2012, a 4.0 production rating, Alan. Uh, however, that was a limited schedule. Uh, he was driving the Michael Waldrop Racing 55. He was driving the races Mark Martin did not want to do. His crew chief, an intrepid fellow named Rodney Childers, was oh. dropping him into good spots in some of those races. But I'll give Vickers his proper due. He took advantage of the placement that uh, Childers put him in. And his career was later interrupted and then ultimately cut short due to blood clotting and the blood thinning medication he's forever going to have to be on. Uh, as someone who's battled blood clots myself, I can, I can attest that, that is very scary and it is very unpredictable. He was shaping up to be, I think, a consummate playoff threat. And that sort of depends on the rides that were going to be offered to him. That final full-time season was in 2014, left a lot to be desired. Uh, he only scored three top five finishes in 36 races that season with MWR, compare that to the three and eight races he scored uh, two years earlier. Uh, so it, it it was. It was a career of highs, lows, and I might add a very intriguing Google search for those who are inclined. Yes, and, and for many reasons. So we'll let you have at that. David, uh, I mean, I think we've, we've touched on it all. Unrealized potential is how I would maybe describe Brian Vickers. I'm glad he does have his health. And by all accounts, he's uh, living well with it and, and those conditions and would love to be back in a race car. I can't mention Brian Vickers, though, without mentioning two words, David. Garnier Fructis. If anyone <laughs> wants to Google the Garnier Fructis paint scheme in the number 25, Think of the uh, the city Chevrolet scheme, except with like no soul to it. It's just an ugly car. <laughs> uh, that's what I remember about Garnier Fructis entering the Cup Series and just like, huh, what is this? And uh, yeah, just an ugly car, man. But Brian Vickers, good career. You remember that car? 
a soulless husk of a fluorescent green race car. And also the, the ads that popped up in, in like race programs and, and race previews because his hair looked very good in those. And, uh, yeah, that, that is a, that is a good shout. That is a great memory. Good driver, uh, great hair. And, uh, episode 83 goes to Brian Vickers. All right, let's get it started. David, we are another round down. The field has been cut from 12 to 8. That means it's time for us to look at the four drivers we lost from the playoff. And the first one is a big one, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch predicted he would not advance beyond this round at the beginning of the round, and he was correct. This is the earliest a defending champion has ever been bounced. David, uh, I don't know where you begin, how you want to start. How do you explain Kyle Busch's year? So this was the seventh fastest team in the NASCAR cup series this year. That is down from second in 2019. Kyle Busch himself ranked fourth in surplus passing. That is down from second. He ranked seventh in restart retention. That is actually up from eighth. This was not a bad race team. It isn't a bad race team. Kyle Busch peripherally is close to the same driver that he was last year when he won the championship. However, he was far less effective at earning results. That is clear in his production rating. He ranked first last year. He ranks 11th this season. Maybe it's regression. Uh, maybe it's uh, the two-spot average loss inside the final one-tenth of races. They were just losing spots as the checkered flag was nearing. Maybe it's something else. So I look deep at this, and I'll preface uh, this. This is going to be a bit. This might be a <laughs> rant. But last season, this team had some defining strengths, and one of those strengths was races where there were no late race restarts. The races were just naturally coming to a conclusion. His average finish in those races was 7.2. This season, under the same parameters, no late race restarts, his average finish fell to 14.0. And that tells me that when a race breaks naturally, no cautions, nothing wild to muck it up at the end, this team lacked track position. What happened to that track position? Well, last season, crew chief Adam Stevens retained Bush's running spot on 74% of green flag pit cycles, 67% of the time when pitting from the top five, and earned Kyle a net gain of seven spots on the non-drafting ovals. Pretty good. This season, though... They were running worse in in the running order on average. And theoretically, there were more positions to be gained. They did not do that. That did not happen. Their retention fell by 16 percentage points to 58%. That is actually below the series-wide rate of 65%. The team's top five retention dropped by 21 percentage points. And they lost a net four positions on non-drafting ovals. That diminished ability to retain position, just, just keep the position when you're coming on pit road, that hurt them mightily this year. A big part of that was pit stops. The 18 pit crew was the fastest based on median box time for all of 2019. They ranked seventh in that category 
during this year's regular season. So the pit crew fell back down to reality. That happens. Uh, I think if they spend more money on pit crew talent, they'll just bloat the payroll. It guarantees nothing. So I'm staying away from that for my fix. I am going to take the hard stance here. Adam Stevens went winless with Kyle Busch as his driver. And frankly, that is the kind of year that gets a crew chief fired. Joe Gibbs Racing isn't paying well over $10 million a year to have Kyle Busch bounced out of the playoffs in the Roval round. And all of Bush's insights, like you mentioned with him predicting he'd be eliminated this round, but even, even after he had been eliminated, Jeff Gluck asked him in the post-race press conference at Charlotte if he thought he could win any of the final four races this season, and Kyle Bush said no. So mentally, he is, he is gone. We have lost Kyle Bush. So, for me, the fix, and, and it's a hard call, but I think it's one that you have to make because we've got to, we have got to get Kyle Bush back on track is a change at the crew chief position. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a significant fix, right? Coming off a championship season, a, a crew chief with two championships under his belt with Kyle Bush, uh, one down season making such a change after the one down season, but you make the case, David, and, and, you know, hearing what we heard out of Kyle Bush, you said it a wasted year. Jordan Bianchi had a great article on the athletic about the wasted year. I think with high expectations come high standards. So would it surprise me to see a crew chief change? No, it wouldn't because of those high standards and those high expectations you have for someone like Kyle Bush. It still surprises me though. Um Coming off the, well, what am I trying to get at? I guess, David, even before, we've talked about it before, the Homestead victory, right? The, the, the race they happened to win last year was a really big one because it delivered the championship, right? And, and before that, it's not like they went into that, that playoff with a ton of momentum, right? That There were struggles there. Does, does that championship, that win that happened to be at Homestead and get him a title, do you think that masked a lot of deficiencies that that team had that, I don't know, maybe it weren't worked on or that we weren't just looking at or that a lot of people just assumed, hey, it's still Kyle Bush in the 18. These high expectations are there and they should have been there all season. Oh, goodness. Yes. I mean, it was, I mean, if we're being honest, that Homestead race, a large part of that win and that championship was because Martin Turex's pit crew couldn't put on tires properly. Denny Hamlin's tape gambit failed and Kevin Harvick brought a short run car to a long run race. So to me, that was an aberration. Kyle Busch has won once in his last 54 races. That's not even a 2% rate. And through his First 512 starts in the Cup Series, he won 55 times. That's a 10% rate. So this is a pretty jarring spell. It's not, it's, it's an aberration. Uh, the win last year at Homestead that served as a convenient escape from the reality of the second half of last year. Uh, I wrote about it. I was writing for The Athletic at the time. I caught a lot of crap for for what I was pointing out. And when we did our year-end requiems and fixes after he had won a championship, 
I said, if, if that is real, if, if that decline in speed that we saw during the second half of last season, if that is real, they're going to have serious issues this season. And lo and behold, that happened. Now, I don't think I imagined a winless season for Kyle Bush. I think that screams to the magnitude of how bad things are. Publicly, we, we don't know what's happening internally, but it can't be rosy. And that's why I think, look, Adam Stevens is a good crew chief. Uh, folks get divorced all the time in real life. That doesn't mean that they can't be good spouses to someone else elsewhere. I think it's going to work out fine for Adam Stevens, but right now this isn't working. And if Kyle Busch isn't winning races and isn't going at least to the semifinal round of the playoffs, something is glaringly wrong. If you don't have Adam Stevens, if they do make a change, where do you go? I, I mean, we, we've talked about this before in terms of uh, it, sometimes it's really hard to find a top-of-the-line driver, right? When these A-listers are out there, you got to sign them. It seems like there's even fewer when it comes to the crew chief side. Where do you go? Uh, is the hottest free agent Cole Pern? I mean, do you throw the do you throw the open the checkbook and try to get him back across the side of the border? What do you do? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's exactly what I do. I offer him. As much money as he wants for one year, I load it with incentives. If he wins races, he gets paid more. If he wins the championship, he gets paid more. And I will promise him just for one year, just for the 2021 season. He told reporters at the end of last year that he didn't care for NASCAR becoming a spec car series. Well, guess what? You don't have to worry about the spec car next year because it's not here yet. You don't have to be the crew chief in 2022 if you don't want to. You don't have to move from Canada if you don't want to. You can uh, crew chief via Zoom chat (laughs) for all I care. And honestly, that might be the protocol next year. We don't know. (laughs) But if we're trying to right the ship and maximize the value of the team's massive investment in a superstar talent, a radical move is going to have to be attempted it might not be realistic to get Cole Pern, but they need to shake that program up and down and figure out how to get Kyle Bush back on the right track. Because even last year, I would argue he was the best driver at Joe Gibbs Racing with the third best crew chief. Okay. This year, he wasn't the best driver and his crew chief clearly wasn't playing the same game as others. Um, those, the strategy numbers, that loss of track position, this was the year of track position and they didn't play that game very well. So find a crew chief that can play that game. Kyle Bush's underlying numbers still good. He's still Kyle Bush. Don't write him off yet, but you've got to give him something to mentally bite into because it was getting to the end of his playoff run and everything out of his mouth was negative. And that's not great. If that is inside into what's going on inside his mind, then more trouble is a brewing. And until that is taken care of, I don't see this team as a threat of any sort in 2021. A final thing I'll touch on only because it was uh, something of a storyline and pointed to throughout the year, the lack of practice. Do you think that had an effect on specifically the 18? Because clearly it didn't affect others. Like it may have affected the 18 team. It was, it, it, it was and has been mentioned. Anything you want to touch on there? 
I can't say that it that affected him one way or another. Uh, if he is a driver who utilized practice sessions and then in the 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 breaks in between practice sessions to look at telemetry and and maybe understand what other cars were doing or what else he needed to do. Nobody has a driving style like Kyle Busch, so I don't know that he was looking at too many other drivers and uh, trying to see what they were doing just for tips. But but again, this fall from grace, it happened in the second half of last season. There is there is more to this story than practice. There is more than just the team underachieving. It is in a bad way right now. And I can't imagine an organization as buttoned up as Joe Gibbs racing to let it linger, especially given how much they have invested into Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, we will see you next year. Next on the list, David, Clint Boyer and the number 14 team bounced despite a valiant effort at the Roval, where uh, he still finished 10th despite a lack of power steering, even led at some points. But let's look at his season, David. Two top fives, 11 top 10 so far. Those numbers are both down from the year before. Now, remember, this was his first year with crew chief John Klossmeyer. Uh, David, Clint Boyer also had one of the worst top 15 efficiencies in the series, meaning he runs in the top 15 a lot more than he is finishing in the top 15. That's no good. Uh, also, he did it all this with the 14th fastest car at non-drafting tracks, David, from the pit box, 51 positions lost during green flag pit cycles. So what he wasn't getting on the track, he wasn't getting a ton of help on top of the pit box either. David, when I, I'm saying all these numbers only to say that doesn't sound like a top eight team. So maybe this elimination, not all that surprising. No, um, you're right in that it was a valiant effort. We knew where he was on the racetrack in all three of the races in this round. And yeah, I, I looked just weirdly. I wanted to look at top 20 finishes. Alan Clint Boyer had 27 top 20 finishes in 32 starts to this point in the hmm. season. It's pretty good. It's yeah. actually tied for the fourth most. Wow. So it, they, you're right in that they weren't hitting the results that their average running possession uh, suggested that they should have hit, but they weren't missing by much. I don't know what else they could have done. Well, when you with, say that, with, I mean, it, it seems like it would exacerbate any, you know, positions lost during green flag pit cycles as well. Then if you're right on that line, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, you're, we're talking maybe a couple of spots each race. They probably should have been better. I don't know what the ceiling was. I'll, I'll say that. I gotcha. think it, I think it was a relatively low ceiling all in for him. Uh, his production rating has declined every year since he's been at Stuart Haas. So it's not as if it was heading in a good direction for him. I think that they accomplished a lot with Clint Boyer behind the wheel this year. And and yeah, you're right. The, the green flag pit cycle stats not hot whatsoever. But at the same time, I'd be hard pressed to think that this team can't hold their heads high on this year just sort of given the nature of 
where the driver was at in his career and how kind of far off they were from having an even better season. Yeah. And as we learned, Clint Boyer will be my teammate next year for NASCAR on Fox in the booth with Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon. So that will be fun. But that creates an opening at the 14 team for Stuart Haas Racing. And David, that works into my fix. Um, this, this one was, I don't know, easy. It's a kind of a layup, but my, David, my fix is bringing one of the best prospects in all of NASCAR and put him in the 14 car. And specifically, if it's Chase Briscoe, which we would have to assume it would be, uh, take advantage of the road course speed and prowess that that team seems to have. And Chase Briscoe also seems to have, uh, as we discussed on last week's episode, uh, next year's 2020 or 2021 schedule in the cup series has six road courses. So when you have a team that has succeeded at those top tens in the two road courses this year, uh, and you plug a driver in who's young and will have to learn the cup series, but has the benefit of six road courses, take advantage of them. So that would be my fix. Is that too easy? I feel pretty good about Chase Briscoe coming in and this team attempting to accomplish everything that it did this season, or at least coming close. And for a first-year driver, if that's the case, I think that's about as good of a start as you can hope. Typically, rookies are terrible. Uh, the fact that Chase Briscoe is a little bit older than the traditional rookie, he'll be 26 next year, I think that that will help. Um, but if they can have something looking like this next season, I think that's a point of optimism. All right. Good stuff there as well. Uh, Clint Boyer, we'll see you next year in the TV booth on Fox, the Daytona 500. Cool stuff. They have a next up, Austin Dillon. Uh, this one's on you. So tell us about Austin Dillon's year. Uh, did he, did he do anything to make you an Austin Dillon believer? Cause he certainly, it seemed like he had, uh, something of an improvement this year. Yeah. I don't know. He, he actually ranked 19th in central speed and that is a downgrade. Over last season, he ranked 18th in 2019. Tyler Reddick's car, as of right now, ranks as the fastest of the two RCR cars. So maybe the, the, the team overachieved to some degree. The pit strategy, Alan, was rock solid. Between crew chief Justin Alexander and strategist Eric Warren, they gained 59 spots this season on non-drafting ovals, that ranked fifth among all teams, second among playoff teams. They had a 72% position retention across all tracks. And the win at Texas, of course, a result of not pitting. I will put a pin in that for now. But Austin Dillon's struggles, I wrote this, uh, wrote about this a few weeks ago for motorsportsanalytics.com. He was a liability on restarts and in races heavy on restarts and decided by restarts, his average finish splits skewed, uh, skewed toward races with long green flag runs. That makes sense. He defends his restart spot less than half the time, 49% all in and 22% of the time when restarting from the non-preferred groove and that is actually going to be the area in need of fixing for me. For as good as this team is with strategy, I don't think a huge season-long uptick in speed can just happen. A lot is going to have to change for that to happen. But give me any kind of improvement on restarts. I have to imagine that that is 
a huge source of frustration for this team, especially when based on this pit strategy, they're putting him in positions to do well, and he is not adept at keeping those spots. So an improvement on the short runs for the three team in 2021. All right. Fair enough. And just looking at his stats, I mean, he went from zero to four top fives this year. That's pretty good. And those were all earned, right? I mean, you combine them with maybe good pit strategy and everything, but at times, especially, you know, he had the win and everything, uh, you know, it was a team effort and the speed, what speed they did have that, that the effort that put them there. I mean, there, there was no lucking into any of these things. No. And I think the, the organization made a pretty big stride. Uh, you saw that more in Tyler Reddick's team, uh, Daniel Hemrick, when he drove for the eight car in 2019, that was a, they ranked 22nd in central speed. So this is a, up to 18th is a pretty big move. Four spots in the central speed rankings is as, uh, a big of a jump as you're probably going to see. That's a big stride. That's something to be proud of. They need to build on that speed. Yes. That's not easy. Every organization over this winter is going to attempt to build on speed. But the the thing to focus on are those short runs, because if you clean those up, that top five number increases based on the strategy that they've been utilizing. Austin Dillon, good strides this year. We will see you next year. And finally, David, Eric Almarola. Everything he does, David, it's just kind of quiet, right? I mean, he's there, consistent. Uh, if 2019 was a down year, 2020 has been an improvement. He's doubled his number of top fives from three to six. He's gone from 12 to 17 top tens. Again, all this in his first year with crew chief Mike Buggeravich and about the 12th fastest car. Uh, he outperformed, he, at least already he has outperformed his, uh, motorsports analytics peer projections on the year. So that's a good thing. And so David, I'm just going to go right into the fix because, uh, his top 15 efficiency could be better, but I'm going to tell you one of the strangest, I, I spend a lot of time perusing motorsportsanalytics.com and all the data that it offers. One of the strangest things I found, David, was on Eric Almarola. He is one of the best restarters in the series from the preferred groove in terms of positions gained throughout the season. But then you flip over to the non-preferred groove, David. He is one of the worst restarters from the non-preferred groove in terms of positions, I guess, lost. He's lost 155 positions from the non-preferred groove, and that's not going to cut it. So when you think of all the positives, and then you see that one negative, if you could just improve the non-preferred groove restarts, you may have something there and, and certainly maybe a top eight team or one that can get back to the round of eight. Uh, again, not sexy, but the potential is there, David. A fine all around season for the 10 team. Their worst finish of the year actually came in this round. It was 37th at Talladega. But let's speak to the the restart Nugget, I'm glad you found that. That's um, that's a fun thing to find. I just hadn't seen anybody that was so good at one, and then it's such a disparity on the other end, depending on what lane you were in. It was crazy. Eric Almarola's average finish in races with zero late race restarts was 10.7. That's a pretty good average. But his average in races with at least one late race restart was 15.0. Wow. So points, points, four, points. 4.3 positions worse on average. Uh, so that, that stat, that what you just discussed, 
uh, we can see that reflected in his results. And that is something, yeah, it, it, same as Austin Dillon. If that is something that you can clean up going into next year, then that's going to get you better finishes in those kinds of races. Um, that team was, boy, they were fast in clean air. My goodness, they were. And I mean, that this sort of speaks to when, when races break naturally, they're, they were getting good finishes, but when chaos happens as it's want to do in the NASCAR cup series nowadays, yeah, he's in trouble. And the the best thing he can be in that scenario is anything but a liability. That is a pretty solid fix. I would say. All right. We'll see if Eric Almirola can get back to the final eight in 2021. That's it for this round. We'll see you in a few weeks for the next requiems and fixes when we lose four more from the playoff. All right, let's move on to our big Kansas preview. But first, David, we got ourselves a sponsor. We do. Our Kansas preview is sponsored by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is a leading manufacturer of CBD products, including energy shots, gummies, tinctures, and more. Uh, but I have taken a liking to the energy shots, similar to some of the energy shots you'll find at your local grocery store or drug store. They contain vitamins D and B12. They also contain caffeine, but with the CBD infused, it doesn't give me the nervous energy that comes with those other shots. I would call it a calming focus. It keeps me at neutral for the task at hand. And our listeners can give them a try as well by going to sundayscaries.com and trying any of their products uh, and receiving a 25% discount with the coupon code POSREGPOD, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. That is the same as our Twitter handle. And that is good for all of their products. And side note, you can use that coupon code for multiple orders. Just use it over and over and over. Fun life hack. You are welcome. Sundayscarries.com for all your CBD needs. Coupon code POSREGPOD for 25% off. All right, the new round. On to Kansas, David, where we've been once before. Triple header, Trucks, Xfinity uh, on Saturday. I'll be there. And then, of course, Sunday with the Cup Series, which we're going to preview, David, because it's a mile-and-a-half track, right? The bread and butter of the NASCAR schedule, at least this year. And, David, you pointed out the two fastest cars on mile-and-a-half tracks this season, Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex. What do they have in common? They've yet to win on a mile-and-a-half track this year. How do you explain that one? We are in, what, maybe the 20th year of these 1.5-mile tracks acting as the most predominant track type on the NASCAR schedule. Can I just say, well, I, did, I did the math in my head. I'm like, 20 years. It's like 1992. No way did we start that early. And then I just realized how old I am, David. So go on. Yeah, that's sad. Thank you. You just bummed everybody out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so, so during this massive amount of time, uh, these teams – have been what do you think they've been working on there there's still there's still a hierarchy at these racetracks but it's pretty close like they're all kind of good uh so close that austin dillon can win at texas with the 15th fastest car because his team recognized that there was no tire wear whatsoever uh kurt bush won at las vegas with the 13th fastest car because his long pitting strategy worked and the race ended with successive restarts. He was the leader. It's tough to pass the leader with this rules package and it's difficult to beat Kurt Busch on a restart. Brad Keselowski won 
the Coca-Cola 600 with the 10th fastest car because at least two crew chiefs didn't bother considering math and relinquish <laughs> their track position. When the competition is close, track position becomes the order of the day and speed goes only as far as your decision-making will allow it. If our listeners don't like the rules package, then they don't have to like the rules package. That's fine. And if you think the mile and a half tracks are boring, okay, that's subjective, but it's not, it's not entirely because of the rules or the track. These teams are not only smart, uh, and, and employ talented enough people who can build competitive race cars, but they've had the advantage of this schedule continuity that's finally getting reshuffled before next season. Uh, this continuity has lasted decades and they have channeled all their energy on it. Uh, there will be about 20 competitive cars, no joke, on the track this weekend as a result of this. And when that is the case, then yeah, it is a track position contest and track position trumps speed. All right, you mentioned it, track position. So how difficult will it be to pass if track position <laughs> trumps speed? And I, I asked that in this context, you know, we've had the Kansas race. So are, if you're going to analyze this, you know, how hard will it be to pass? Are you looking just back at that Kansas race or what, what kind of context do you put this in to analyze the answer to this question? I asked the most recent winner at Kansas, Denny Hamlin, this very question. <laughs> that is a great uh, person to ask. <laughs> I, yeah, I, so I, I needed him to articulate the difficulty in passing between this rules package and the last rules package. And he told me with this package on these tracks, it's much easier to defend a lead. Clean air allows for that. But within heavier traffic, it is difficult to defend position because those runs come uh, and they're impossible to disrupt at times. Case in point, we saw both of these dynamics occur in the Las Vegas race. Kurt Busch was in the lead. Uh, it was late in the race and we saw, who did we see? We saw Hamlin, Blaney, Benedetto, Bowman was up there. And all of them were sort of launching their own assaults on Kurt Busch from different grooves and none of them worked. They couldn't get to Kurt's bumper at all. Bush wasn't blocking. He was just holding his preferred line for the most part, essentially taking advantage of this very dynamic. He didn't have to do much at all. Everyone else had to pass him and behind him. It was just this kaleidoscope of cars and colors. And I'm sure that that is by design with this rules package, but that illustrates Hamlin's point of, yeah, unless you are deliberately taking measures to protect a spot, it's tough to do anything about some of these runs that are coming. And at the end of that race, everyone was on offense. So a defensive mindset was completely out the window, as you would expect on those late restarts. All right, so it can be tough to pass. It can be, well, we were talking about before, uh, the importance of track position. So one place to get track position is on the restart. Uh, David, we always like to talk about the restart dynamic and which is the preferred lane, non-preferred lane. So how do you uh, size that up for Kansas? In terms of defending position, I would say that it's a thin margin because over the last three races, 
all of them with this rules package. The inside and outside of row one was perfectly even for retention, both with 56% rates. The difference between the two was that the average loss for the car on the inside was actually double of uh, that of the car on the outside. And that's why I will designate row one outside groove being the most valuable restart spot, which you can find how I ranked spots one through 14 on motorsportsanalytics.com, the plan your restart page. And all in, the two grooves are separated by 14 percentage points in disparity for retention. But again, the positional losses, when cars on the outside at Kansas lose position, the loss is small. When cars on the inside lose position, the loss is great. 221 spots lost across 175 measured attempts across these three races. That is significant. Um, the, the flip side of that, the outside saw an 81 position gain across its 175 attempts, and that will be the difference maker. A good restarter should be able to defend position just fine from any spot in this one. But the gains, the restart offense that we think we're going to see and what we'll need to see if from a driver, if they want to gain position, that's where the ceiling changes. The opportunities for gains will be for those choosing the outside groove in this one. All right. And the first race we saw in Kansas had 12 restarts. So, I mean, the significant opportunities, right? If you can get yourself in that, that outside groove to gain some position. So, uh, we'll, we'll see if it's anything like that first race earlier this year. David, it's time for, uh, the favorite moment of the show, as always, contrarian contender picks this late in the season, playoff drivers, non-playoff drivers. I'll let you go first. Who are you going with? Who's your contrarian contender pick for Kansas? I will pick Eric Jones. Damn it, that's who I picked too. Really? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. So we we can we can talk about him. Uh, Eric Jones has not finished worse than eighth in his last uh, in five of his last six starts. His last few finishes on mile and a half tracks were sixth, fifth, and eighth. And uh, of course, he heads to Kansas this weekend. Fourth most efficient passer on one and a half mile tracks. Second most efficient passer on five fifty horsepower tracks. Allen, a win would give him one win and 10 top five finishes on the season. And that would replicate his 2019 stat line, which was also one win and 10 top five finishes. And he still doesn't have a confirmed ride for next year, which is crazy. So maybe he's not that contrarian after all. Or maybe we're the crazy ones, Alan. Did you ever think about that? That might be it. Well, a little bit. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you saw him race the Roval. He was in contention to win. I, I Ultimately, Chase Elliott, I think, had the field covered. But Eric Jones drove a fantastic race, and he's been good of late. The passing numbers have been solid all season. That is a very talented driver without any kind of job that we know about for 2021. So I hope, I hope that, uh, that rectifies itself because man, a cup series without him in it is, uh, going to be a bummer. Interesting stuff. But yeah. First time we've both picked the same contrarian contender pick, I believe, but Eric Jones, he, I mean, it was a, kind of a layup out there, no longer in the playoffs, but he's running awesome and you should pick him at a track like Kansas. So good stuff there. 
David, don't forget we're available at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We're available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. Go back and listen. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff really does help spread the word about us, about this podcast. We, of course, notice, and it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, please send them to us. You guys ask the smartest questions. We love to answer them on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you were just at the track last week. You're always working on something. What, uh, what do you got? What do you want to tell us about? Well, this week on Forbes, I made the formal argument for AJ Allmendinger's inclusion in a cup series with six road course races on the schedule. And uh, I also previewed the upcoming Kansas race this week for BetMGM. I will offer some race previews uh, for them for the remainder of the year. Uh, I would say that uh, there will be more substance in them than your run-of-the-mill betting previews. My goal is to put some cool nuggets within that text. Uh, so check those out. Keep up with my Twitter feed at DavidSmithMA. You'll see all those stories posted once they are published. And uh, if you're not uh, into social media, you can also go to motorsportsanalytics.com and sign up for email delivery of all my stories. It's completely free. You don't have to click a thing. It's just going to appear in your inbox. You can just read it as an email. Uh, if you are so inclined, give that some consideration uh, and check out motorsportsanalytics.com. Yeah, you heard the man. Nuggets of information. That's basically free money when it comes to uh, gaming out there. So make sure you read and listen to David, of course. Uh, David, I'm heading back to the track. The truck series had a week off, but it is back in Kansas, and I will be on pit road. The race on Fox on Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern. So make sure. You watch that. I'll be down there on pit road as they, uh, truckers kick off their playoff round. Should be a lot of fun. Remember, it's the third time that we'll have been there, uh, this season. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I got a good piece on the Sunday pre-race show. We do have a race hub show on FS1 before the Sunday cup show. So make sure you watch that. I'll post it on, uh, my Twitter feed as well. And just, uh, make sure you follow at Alan Kavana. So another good episode, David, episode 83 of positive progression for David Smith. I'm Alan Kavana. Have a great week, everybody. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.